Uh, will you turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9? Um, if you don't have your Bibles with you, you can turn to the back of your order of worship. Tonight we're going to finish out uh, chapter 9 uh, with verses 6 through the end of the chapter and actually finish out Paul's section on cheerful giver. Uh, Matt opened us in this section with being a generous giver. It's, it's a, uh, giving a gift of grace he talks about. Last week we saw that Paul is sending a delegate ahead of him to Corinth. And that delegate is supposed to gather up the generous gifts to go and meet the needs of those that are in um, the Jerusalem church who are literally, as we learned, starving to death. And Paul's really calling all hands on deck for generosity to care for the needs of this church. Um, And so we see, uh, really, um, it, tonight, as we come to this passage, uh, the grace of God being revealed and, and the resources that God has given to us are not just for us and our earthly comfort, but believers, our resources are meant uh, to be used for the kingdom of Jesus Christ and for the glory of the Lord, hoping that it, it erupts in thanksgiving to God. And so we will um, draw those things out as we turn to his passage tonight. But first, let's begin with prayer. Our gracious God, we thank you for your word. It's truth. Lord, we thank you that you um, speak to us, Father, in this day and age uh, through this word. And so as it's read and preached, I pray that your spirit would awaken our hearts and our minds that we might receive it. Lord, we pray that we would be drawn to Christ, our Savior, the one whom you have given as such a generous gift to us, Father, for our salvation. We thank you as we are in this Advent season, that our Christ will return one day, Lord, as we remain here, as your ambassadors in this world. Would you, would you use us and use our resources that your kingdom might grow and be strengthened? Uh, we ask all of this in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Verse 6 of chapter 9. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work, as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you, because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. This is God's word for His people. Amen? 
uh, this evening, uh, we'll see why Paul asks us to give generously. It's entirely centered in God's glory. So we'll consider three points. One, God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Two, God blesses a cheerful giver. And three, God receives thanksgiving. So first, God loves a cheerful giver. This whole section of Paul's letter has been about generosity. And tonight, he tells us the point, what he was building to. Verse 6, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Uh, in an agrarian society, you know, we don't live this way anymore, but this would have landed, this illustration, it, it didn't need much explanation for them as they hear him uh, tell them about really what is planting. To anyone who has a garden at home, if you have a lot of seed, why not plant it? The seed that goes into the ground multiplies. Each seed multiplies to a greater yield. Yes, there's the inherent risk that you'll, that you'll put this seed in the ground and that it won't uh, grow or survive or, or germinate. You have to part with it. What you hold in your hand is given over to entrusting it to the Lord's growth. That's the point. That's the point Paul is making. Paul said this in the first letter. He said, I planted, and he's talking about the gospel. Apollos watered it, but God gave the growth. But we're not just talking about money here tonight. Paul is taking us immediately by this illustration into the spiritual realm. He is talking to the believer about something that only the believer can know. They know how God first planted the gospel in their heart. How the product of it was, was life, abundant. That they were dead in their trespasses, and now they have life. And God expects from this harvest for it to bear fruit that exponentially grows the believer has now been transformed to think and, and to live differently. They see that they are no longer made for this world, but have eyes to a greater harvest, to a greater uh, day. And they have been left here. We have been left here waiting. As we asked before, we've asked this through the book of 2 Corinthians, especially as Paul was talking about being ambassadors. Why are we still here? Why wouldn't Christ just snatch us up out of this world, right? Why are we still here? Why do we still suffer? Why are the Christians, where the gospel was first going out to the world in Jerusalem, why are they starving to death? Why would he begin a work there and then have them end up in this kind of situation? Why are we still here? Is it not to be ambassadors for Christ until he comes again? When he comes and he makes all things new. So then what impact does this have on our time and on our resources? Is it not that we bring whatever we can to bear in glorifying God and in making Christ known? God didn't pour out his grace on us sparingly. 
So why would we be tight-fisted in our generosity? These are the things Paul's getting at. Verse 9. He says, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. Us who were completely uh, deplete of any righteousness, of any good work, anything pleasing to the Lord. He poured out His grace upon us. And He has given us His righteousness. Do we not see how generous God has been in salvation, giving us His treasured Son and eternal life for our inheritance? Doesn't the allure and promise of heaven make the most treasured possessions of this earth look like cheap trinkets? James Elliott, uh, who famously... uh, Uh, was reaching out to the Awaka Indians in Ecuador, said this before his death. And he didn't know he was going to die. He knew they were a dangerous people, but he said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot gain to gain what he cannot lose. Did he know that the answer would be his own life? Forget money and time. It cost him his life. Where does that sit in your heart this evening? This is the point Paul states in verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. And listen to this, because this is important. For God loves a cheerful giver. The question for us when asked to give generously is a matter of the heart. And whenever we hear what God loves, shouldn't we sit up in our seats and and, and take notice? He tells us here, one of the things that He loves is a generous giver. God loves believers who give cheerfully. Why? It's because it's a direct relation to how God gives. God generously gave us His Son. And Jesus cheerfully abandoned His spot, His throne, abandoned heaven to take on human form. And He he left a throne for a manger. And He was content to have no place to lay His head. Why would He impoverish Himself in such a way? Why would He do this? The mission was the world. It says in Hebrews 12 too, look to Jesus. And what, what are we going to see when we look to Jesus? Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. A heart check is needed. This was the cost that Christ would bear for, for His bride, for His church, for the poor, for those who were suffering, us, those who were destined to hell. This is the generosity that God has for us. His own Son. What a good and gracious and generous God and a Son who cheerfully comes and gives of Himself His own body unto death. He cheerfully gives it for the need of His bride, of His people, of the church. Do we love what God loves? We could almost stop there for the night. Lord, what gifts have you given me physically 
and spiritually that I can bring to bear for your kingdom and your harvest. This naturally leads us to our second point. What are, what are the incentives? If, I, if I'm to give generously, what are the incentives for my deposit? Well, God blesses the cheerful giver, our second point. You read the verbs in, in these last verses, and they're stunning. It says, grace abounds to those who give generously. You abound, he says, that he increases, increases, right? You, you want a return on your deposit. He increases the harvest of your righteousness. What else? He enriches you. Now, I'm not talking about you give a man a dollar, you get three back. Now, that's not what we're talking about here. This is not... Uh, the uh, prosperity gospel, right? This is, uh, this is what He does in the believer. Maybe He does bless you because you gave. We're talking about the, the deep spiritual blessing that comes. These are the things He promises. It's overwhelming. It says the product. He produces more thanksgiving, which is overflowing. That's overwhelming. Our gifts given with a cheerful heart have as a harvest these outcomes. We are promised this result. Yes, you part with something. But it is compounded into something greater as an investment. God is able to make grace abound in you. What does this mean? And how does this then cause us to abound in every good work? The answer is in verse 8. God is able with His grace towards us to cause it to reap a harvest of grace in the work and the gifts we cheerfully give to. It's all rooted in the giver. The giver who is God. It says He is sufficient to supply all our needs. And this isn't just spiritual, but physical. I think of uh, the verse about the way He cares for the birds. The aid that He brings even to the birds. And how much more does He care for the needs of His own pe people? His grace was sufficient to raise us from the dead spiritually. And it is sufficient to sustain us in all our days until He comes back or He takes us to be home with Him. He simply promises that He will do this. What flowed in grace naturally flowed in to us in grace naturally should flow out in grace. The harvest of grace planted in salvation is a grace abounding outwards in every good work. Verse 10, He supplied you with your resources and He will multiply it for the increase of a harvest of righteousness. Oh, to see that. <laughs> what would that look like? Thanksgiving, we know. He tells us later. I think of the feeding of the 5,000 when I read that. A harvest of righteousness. You know, the people have been following Jesus around and uh, it's, it's getting late in the day and it seems no one has anything to eat. One small boy does. He has enough for him to eat. And he brings it to Christ. And it cost him something, didn't it? He, he gave it away. But this is my food, right? You almost expect, I would do that. Certainly would expect children. This is my meal, man. I planned ahead. He gives it to Christ. It cost him something. 
and he gives it to Christ, and Christ multiplies this really a meager gift when you look at the size of a crowd and what happens. Everyone eats until they are full. This is the kind of thing that God can do with our resources. There it is. This is what Paul wants us to see. My resources are God's resources. Why has God given us resource? Is it not to participate in His kingdom work here on earth? That might help us see ourselves in a different light. My gifts, my physical and spiritual, are His resources. Whatever gifts you have that you bring to bear, I'm not just talking about money. Spiritual gifts He's poured out in every believer. What gifts has He given you as you live here and now? Are you to give generously to His church, to His body, that it might be built up and be fruitful? The way to be blessed is the willingness to part with them if necessary. Verse 11, ironically, it says, we are enriched in every way when we are willing to part and be generous in every way. What does it produce? Thanksgiving to God. Thanksgiving to God. Is there a greater blessing than having our eyes turn to God and say, I see why you gave me abundance. I see why you gave me desire to serve. I see why you gifted me in a particular way. Is this not how the widow could part with the the last penny, the last might? Is this not how the Macedonians in our previous passage could give, it says, Uh, begging to give, out of their poverty to give to the suffering saints in Jerusalem. The believer will never be impoverished. What they have is beyond rust and moth. What is theirs is waiting for them in the presence of God never to be snatched away. You see, God blesses the believer with a, a future harvest in an increase that we seed with resource and gift with eyes to God to bless it and grow it the church moves and functions in this way verse 10 the promise and increase of the harvest of your righteousness what is that it is the blessing that he promised he pours righteousness into you and righteousness flows out of you in generosity and care and concern for the body of Christ, for other churches, for other believers, that that no one among us might have need. Look, I raised money only for one year as a missionary. We have several in here who have been missionaries. Oh, we know it, how the church comes. How else could they function? Brothers and sisters, how could any part of this ministry of this church function without the generosity of the church? It doesn't. And that's the point. God's given the resources. The harvest of your righteousness is twofold. You are entrusting yourself to God. Just as you have trusted Him with your salvation, you are trusting Him for His provision. This is the Lord's prayer in action. Giving something is a result of being given something. Our Father, who is in heaven, His kingdom has come and we desire His will to be done. He gave us our daily bread so that we can share our daily bread 
He gave us forgiveness so that we can give over our sin and repentance. He gave us forgiveness so that we can forgive others. That's a theme in 2 Corinthians. He gave us His Son in heaven so that temptation in this world holds no candle to His blessings. He delivers us from evil so that we can overcome the evil schemes of the devil to crush the individual and the church. You see, Satan, he can't impoverish the kingdom of God whose resources are infinite. He cannot. But we can be misers of His grace. Let us see the increase of the harvest of righteousness by loving what God loves. Generosity in the hearts of His believers. The harvest is twofold because it increases your harvest of righteousness, but it is also used to increase the harvest of the church in the world. Verse 11, Paul says, through us. That's us too. Through us. It will produce thanksgiving to God through our actions of generosity. It produces thanksgiving to those around us, especially those who receive it, right? A generous giver will see how the result, resource of gift will be used for evangelism, for meeting the needs of others, to fulfill the Great Commission. The harvest, we may not even fully get to see or realize until we hear the voices when we stand before the throne of God in the end and we see the totality of the whole harvest being brought in and every voice and tongue and nation lifts up their voices in praise before God. We will see it. And right now, we plant those seeds and we give generously to that end so that it lands and it ends and our last point, God receives thanksgiving. God receives thanksgiving. Why should Corinth care about the suffering saints in Jerusalem? Don't uh, they have enough problems of their own in Corinth? I mean, that's what Paul's writing about. They got lots of problems going on in Corinth. But like we said earlier with the children, the church is one body. And Mary Mac, who had surgery this week on her finger, involved this, this bone graft from another part of her body. And she will do what she can to nurse it and to take care of it and to give it tender care. But when I think on, on the reality of what was involved in the surgery, how much help came to bear on her need, she handles her body with care because of the injury. But her parents come and they, they tenderly care for her and, and we paid for it. Her church body gave the gift of prayer and encouragement to her. People checking in, how's she doing? And the doctors, they trained for it. Everything that was needed for her healing was provided in the providence of God. Her injury was embraced, so to speak, by far more than herself. This is how it works in the church. This is the concern Corinth is to have for the church way over in Jerusalem. We are one body in Christ Jesus. If the arm is injured, we come to its aid. We see it as a part of the whole. The church in Jerusalem is a part of the church in Corinth. 
all a part of the body of Christ. And He has filled His body of believers up with gifts of all kinds to come to bear on the needs. He's given evangelists and teachers and prayers and those who can give monetarily and those who are servers and wisdom and discernment. You name it, He's poured the gifts out in the church. All to supply the needs. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is the overflowing and many thanksgivings to God. The result, the church cannot function without the generosity in any of its mission. And the ministry of generosity results in the turning to God and acknowledging Him in thanksgiving. That needs a hard check too, I think. (laughs) I love when people turn to me and say, Thanks for the kind gift. Often our hearts need a heart check because that's the reason we might give. And this is why Paul doesn't say, you have to give. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't compel them. But he says instead, give out of the produce of a heart that loves God. A, a thankful heart towards God will give thanks when the praise isn't given to you, but to God. And we naturally want that thanksgiving to be given to us. But the real harvest is seen in lips who turn to God and give Him all kinds of praise. All this proclaims the gospel. Verse 13, from it comes your confession of the gospel of Christ. Generosity has something to say about the gospel that we believe. The gospel which is free and generously given is reflected when God's people act in the same way. Believers, just as the good news is to flow from us, from one to another, so are the gifts we have been given meant to flow freely in generosity so that the needs of all are met so that we can say with Paul, verse 15, thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. Let's pray.